Well, hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to The Deeper Dive, and this is the day that we've all been waiting for, uh, where, the, uh, where, the, where the kids' table takes over the show, okay? Pastor Rob has allowed me to be the host for this episode, and now he is my co-host, and it feels weird for it to all have switched. It feels strange. So thank you for joining us on this episode, Pastor It is Rob. my pleasure. The Deeper Dive, <laughs> Little Brother Edition. <laughs> Oh, man. So in case you're new to this space, um, with, with the purpose of this podcast is just to take the, the ideas, the topics, the, um, the passages from the Word of God that we're talking about on the weekend services and just go deeper into them, ask a few more questions that maybe we weren't able to address um, on the weekend, and just take things to the deeper level. So uh, thank you for listening today. And we are in a series that uh, we've been in for the past couple of weeks uh, that's called The Public Square. Uh, a series all about faith and politics in our public discourse. And um, in case you didn't know, uh, there's an election next week that's coming up. Did you know that? There is. <laughs> so, uh, Rob, um, I, I'm just so glad that we're talking about this, uh, this idea in this time and in this space as the church. It feels like a conversation that we need to be a part of. Yeah, I think to be the church, to be Jesus followers, is to engage these difficult spaces. Jesus plays in every sphere of human endeavor, and his desire is to make all things new. That's what the kingdom looks like in its final state. The the things religious and the things um, secular the things harmonious and the things contentious. And I can think of no more contentious thing than the public square in America in 2020. I'm not quite sure there are many things that are more contentious than that. So, um, man, so we just finished um, week two of this three-week series. In week one, uh, you kicked us off and really talked about um, really some larger framework of, of how to think about this idea of... Um, how we engage as, as citizens of heaven in our earthly politics, for, for many of us listening to this in, in the United States, and how we're called to be citizens of, of both and to get them in the right order. Can you, like, give us a quick summary of that idea for those that didn't get to hear it from week one, then we'll dive in. Yeah, Jesus did it really well. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And, and in that simple saying, Jesus established that as Christians living on earth, as citizens of heaven with a second citizenship here in the United States, there are things that are that belong to Jesus, and we shouldn't sacrifice or subordinate those. And there are parts of our being and responsibilities that belong to the state. And so the question is, what does it look like to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to give to God what is God's? I think Jesus' clear implication is that the kingdom of heaven has a first lean position so in our hearts and must never be moved down. Yeah. And then the kingdoms of this world matter in a subordinate way. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you missed that, man, I, I know I said this previously, but please go back. I feel like it's so important, not just for this time and this season, but this is going to come back up, you know, again in four years. <laughs> so like, it's just, I think it's just a foundational truth for how we are to engage in any public space as followers of Jesus. This past weekend, we sort of deepened or went a layer in and talked about how do we talk about this issue? And we, we looked at Luke chapter 2 with Jesus um, in the temple um, as a 12-year-old, which is just a crazy story to me, just the idea that his parents lost him. I just think that that's so 
funny. Like Home, like the original Home Alone happened in Luke chapter two. And, and let's be honest, <laughs> side excursion. When you read this. However irreverent it, it, it feels, do you have a little involuntary Home Alone response? No. Like when you watch Home Alone and you're like, this is borderline child abuse. How do you leave your kid and not know it until you're on a plane? That's so unrealistic. Yeah. That's so absurd, except that it was three days. And I've heard people say, well, this is Jewish culture. What? Not to notice your kids well, not so, there for so, three days? So, How does this happen? I mean, so, so to be fair, they left and it says that that evening, once they got to wherever they were going, as it was a checkpoint or a pit stop, then they're looking for him and they're like, oh no, he's not here. Yeah. So then they go back and they look for him for three days in Jerusalem. Like that is amazing. But when they find him, um, he's in this space with the religious leaders, likely de- debating and talking about scripture. And we looked at how he was found, how he was found sitting down, listening to them and asking questions. Mm. And then they were surprised and blown away by his answers. So we kind of talked about the posture uh, or the different postures or ways of being found having a hard conversation, um, a significant one of, of sitting down in humility, of listening with curiosity, asking questions for understanding, um, and engaging and, and, and getting involved in that conversation only after doing uh, those three things there. Let me pause and just say to you who are listening, if you missed Sunday's message, stop this podcast right now and play that. Uh, I absolutely insist. I, I, I couldn't more passionately um, believe that you need to do that. It was <laughs> so foundationally true. And you mentioned how elections come up every four years. Life comes up every day. In a way, th- this is a, an exposition on a foundational theme. I love how you took us to Philippians 2. Yeah. Consider Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't himself regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, and became obedient to the point of death. Man. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Jesus took that posture. So must we. This is the heart and soul of the gospel. And, and what you did was apply that central truth of Christian living hmm. to the public square. You could apply it to every square of life. And, uh, and that's why I think um, it's so important at this time when tensions are high for us to grasp, because this is going to bear dividends throughout the next four years uh, leading up to the next <laughs> time of crisis around the public square. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah, it was thanks. as important a message as I've heard all year, and I could not um, be more enthusiastic about uh, what you share with our church and how we all need, uh, need to be wrestling with that. So what I want to do is uh, just dive deeper into it with you. So thank you for hosting yeah, us. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Yeah, so here's one of the things I, I, I think I stumbled upon and noticed um, when preparing that message and actually talking with some people afterwards is I think so much of how we approach our important conversations in public discourse, specifically in the public arena, is, is founded upon that first thing we talked about of humility. Um, and there's this phenomena of like, you ever listen to a... Um, a, a, a really good sermon or, or, or read a quote and you start, and in your mind right away, you start to think about four people or, or that need to hear that or that one person. <laughs> and what I do, what I realized is like, I got a, a small amount of feedback um, after the message and the few people I talked with were like, man, that was so good because man, we just need more people to do that. 
Um, or if, man, my mom needs to hear this message or my sister. Like, and we sort of, in the application points, we have a thought bubble that, have so, that has someone else's face in it. Like, we think that it's someone else that needs to do these things. And even myself, like, I'm like, man, it would be so much better if the world would do this. And then I realize I'm not being humble in that. The truth is I need to do this more. Um, it's the, the application starts with me, not with someone else. And if we think that we're exempt from these things, then we're missing the whole, the whole point mm. of humility. The, the truth is all of us probably are a little bit arrogant and prideful, and we're talking right now, right? I'm speaking right now, right? So, like, there's something in me that wants to speak and not want to listen to other people. Um, so I just, I just found it fascinating how we, we kind of, our default is to think this is so good for her, right. but not for me. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, we, we probably see last what Jesus sees about us first, which is ourself, and then our circumstances and the people around us that are difficult a distant second. I hear you saying that you're starting, George, with the man in the mirror. Come on. You're asking him <laughs> Jackson, to change his ways. Come on, AJ, give me a scarecrow. He always preaches. How, um, how about so, a moonwalk? <laughs> Yeah, man. So, I mean, one of the one of the things we did is kind of, you know, ask those those questions of like, how do we know um, if we are following this Jesus way of like, how do we know if we're, we're seated in humility? And the question we asked was, um, you know, have I considered the possibility that I could be wrong? And I think that's a hard question to answer. You know what I mean? Like, I find myself not knowing where where passion ends and pride begins. Mm. Because when we're talking about politics, these aren't light issues that don't have implications. Like any, any policy, any um, of these issues that we talk about, especially during this cycle in our society, they affect the lives of real people, like millions of real people. So it's really easy to, I think we should be passionate about those things. Right. Like we should care deeply. It seems like there's a passion pitfall, though, and it is that passion has a bias of self-affirmation. The more passionate about something that I am, the more convinced I get that I'm right, and the more I seek out people who are similarly impassioned, and then they reaffirm my rightness. And so the slide from passionate to... Um, mental rigidity man uh is 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 a slippery slope uh, yeah so I, and it's and some people out of out of maybe uh, a desire to be humble like oh i'm just going to be humble and you know just maybe i don't know anything then you don't have any passion you have no conviction you have no like spine no right. like and i don't think that that's what jesus asks us to do either when you <clears throat> when you look at so much of what jesus did in his life as an adult he wasn't just sitting around letting everyone say whatever they thought. Like right. he would really check right. people and challenge people and turn some tables over um, if need be. But it's like, how do you pursue passion without falling or sliding into the zone of I'm arrogant and I think I'm smarter than everyone else. And if you don't agree with me, then you're stupid. And then the, convert, <laughs> the, the flip side of that coin is how do you pursue humility without uh, being apathetic and milk toast and um, just sort of, blandly interested rather than deeply convicted. All right, I just, a uh, quick pause. My brother-in-law, whose name is Kurt Goodwin, he's an amazing man, he he taught my kids the phrase milk toast, 
just a couple of days ago. <laughs> so now when you just, they've been walking around the house calling me milk toast if I want to rest or something like that. So anyways, <laughs> when you said that, just shout out to Kirk. Don't be milk toast. Yeah, that, I think Jesus is the opposite. Jesus is non-milk toast, but he's also non-prideful. Um, mm. So how do you um, how do you balance or hold those two together? Right. That's the that's the Jesus question here. Passion and humility are they're possible together, right? They're 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 what Jesus asks of us. They're certainly what he models for us. Yeah, and I think in all these men, maybe maybe the ans- maybe the question can't be answered, right? Like, well, how do you uh, pursue humility without being apathetic, or how do you be passionate without sliding into pride? Maybe there's not an answer to that, but just always having the question before you might be the answer. Like if you're if you're considering it, if you're aware of it, that might be enough to keep you in that tension of right. not sliding into one or the other. I, I think that I think that's such an important distinction, and uh, I would add to that that humility is is this is this an external value in scripture. It sort of Hmm. stands alone from many of the inside out heart transformation that bears, um, behavioral fruit kind of Christian values. Humility is singular in scripture in that, um, Scripture doesn't say, seek God and allow the Holy spirit in you to, to grow you more humble. It says Hmm. simply humble yourself, humble yourself. Right, humility isn't something that we, it, it, Scripture suggests we we allow to marinate our hearts until we become more that way. It says some. It's more something that we that we choose to do. Humility is as humility does, and that's why the things that you talked about that Jesus did, mm. you pulled out of that Scripture. First, I thought that was genius. I'd not seen that passage in that light ever. Mm. Um, but they were so profound and simple. I was thinking about one of the protests maybe that subconsciously emerges as you read that. So one of them is Jesus, um, you know, was really humble about it. But when you're telling me to be humble on, on this front, uh, I think, I think many of us can hear that and, and our, we wouldn't say it out loud. That would be very untoward, but we might, we might subconsciously conclude, yeah, but I'm right. (laughs) This this, this isn't in question. Like this is, truth with a capital T. And so to be, to be humble is to suggest that I'm not sure I'm right, but I know this is right. Like I know killing babies is wrong. Mm -hmm. I know this party is for not doing that. And that party is for doing that more end of discussion. Therefore this doesn't, this just simply doesn't apply to me. So I'm going to exempt myself because I've solved the riddle. I've cracked the code and I'm going to then go the next layer out and apply this humility expectation to the others around me. And, and while you're that totally may be right, true, I mean, that's, right, that's, it might be that you are, that you have the right of it all. It might be that the, the whole of American governance comes down to the issue about which you're strongly persuaded. And on that issue, George, I'm strongly persuaded, absolutely. right? But, um, it might be that it's, it's, it's a more complex and nuanced truth but even if it is for the sake of discussion yeah even if you do have the right of it all i think it still applies because looking at the scripture that you taught i'm pretty sure jesus did too Mm -hmm. like i'm pretty sure jesus looked at the pharisees and knew that they were the ones who would oppose his fundamental message of the kingdom, who would constantly miss the forest for the trees. If anybody was right with the capital R, it was Jesus. And yet that didn't, that knowledge 
didn't exempt him from a posture of humility. So Jesus modeled that even if you and I yeah. could approach, like as X goes to infinity, rightness, yeah. complete and total truth, that the, the burden, the mandate for approaching it in humility, for listening, for asking questions, and for enshrouding the whole thing and founding it on love, mm-hmm. that is still our burden. That is still our mandate. Yeah, and I, I think this is something that I've learned from you. I've heard you say this um, simple line in, in a lot of different contexts um, of, I may be wrong, you know? I, I don't. I just think that that's so important because that allows you to hold a very, very strong conviction and say, "This is what I believe." Um, and who who knows? Maybe I'm wrong about this, but here's what I believe. And and you can do both of those things at the same time. And and I think the reason why I think that's so important is because we may have an area um, for for many people. It might have to do with mass incarceration. Uh, for others, it might have to do with abortion rights. Um, or restrictions. For others, it may be something else. Um, And all of those things are hugely important. But we've all experienced certain areas in our life where we were dead sure about something else, maybe that was had much lower stakes. And you fast forward 10, 15, 20 years, and we've moved off of that, or, or expanded, or allowed for more nuance in those conversations. So I just think a posture of humility leaves space for you to have a very strong conviction, but it but it carves out some space around that conviction to leave room for growth um, and alternative perspectives that maybe you haven't considered. So, so why is that? Why is that so hard for us as humans? And I include myself yeah. in that. Why is it so hard for us to say, in effect, I might be wrong, or I may be only partially right, or I may be looking at this in too narrow a context, and I may be missing... Lots of other factors. I think the truth is, I was listening to another podcast this week on faith and politics and stuff like that. And one of the, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was talking about this reality that um, whenever we approach these conversations, we just need to be aware that we are standing on our, like we're, we're formed by all of our own biases. Like all of us are biased by who we were raised, where we were raised, who raised us, what their experiences were, um, what's happened to us in our lives, what we've seen, what we've, what we've experienced. And all of that colors how we see it. So we are seeing something, I think, to, that to us is right and is true and that is representative of what we know. But I think if we don't re- recognize and realize that like all of that is just coming through the lens of ourselves and our own experience, um, then we don't leave any room for anyone who's experienced something else. Um, so I think, I don't know, I feel like it's really hard for us because maybe sometimes we don't acknowledge that we're being, that we are biased in some direction. Mm-hmm. Every single person, you know? If you grew up in a city, you're going to see the world differently than someone who grew up on a farm um, and came from parents who grew up on a farm. And, you know, if, if your parents owned a business and that business struggled and failed, you're going to see things through their experience. Mm-hmm. And you should. Where else are you going to stand? You, you should look at it from that perspective. But I think it's sometimes the lack of awareness of that's what we're doing, yeah, um, boy, that I so can good. be totally right about my perspective, and someone else can have another one as well. That if I were you, Rob, if I were you and grew up with your parents where you grew up and went to the schools you went to, I would probably think a lot like you. Um, and I think this leads us into one of the other, like, we talked about this in our race uh, series on um, race, unity, and justice, and 
the idea of when people say, I just don't understand how anyone could vote for her or whatever, you know? And it's like hidden in that response or in that statement is the problem. It's like you don't understand. Um, and I think if we can just come to the, to the realization that, man, if I were, whoever we're talking to, pick someone. If I were them and I grew up where they grew up with their parents, their upbringing, their education, their experience, I would probably see the world just like them. That we're all standing on our own biases, I think, is super important. The idea that you talked about from Scripture, be quick to listen in James and slow to speak and slow to become angry, I think baked into that is a, a life practice of seeking first to understand. We talked about this in our mm-hmm. Race, Justice, and Unity podcast. Uh, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Empathy requires that we put ourselves second and the person we're seeking relationship with first. And all the more in a time of great division, um, like the time we're in politically, to try to understand uh, not why you don't think my truth is truest or most (laughs) salient among the truth, the the, the multifaceted truth, but why, but what in fact is, is most salient in the layered and complex truth of God from the point of view of your experience. To seek first to understand you, I think, is what that scripture is getting at. And that requires pausing my own mental machinations, listening, and asking questions, just as Jesus modeled. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so there, there, there's, there's that. I wanted to, to, to sort of ask you a question. I mean, the, the second one that we talked about, kind of we, that we sandwiched in there, was this idea of... Um, of how do I know if I'm listening with curiosity? And this this truth that just because my mouth is closed doesn't mean that I'm listening to somebody. Um, but I might be like, <laughs> I might be, have you noticed, have you found that to be true in your experience where you're like speaking with someone and you know they're not really listening to what you're saying? They're just trying to like formulate their response. Have you experienced that in any type of... I mean, I, I think I could take it a step more personal and say, I have been the guy doing that a number of times, right? And it's not because I don't, uh, I, I devalue or think what they're saying is irrelevant. It's because I think I already know it. Dang. You know, I, I think my mental process goes, yeah, it'll play out what they're saying and they're really getting, and then they're talking around, yap, 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 but they're really getting to this, to this. Okay, so I get there where I'm pretty sure they're going and then I start, <laughs> I, so I be them for a minute and then I start being me in response to them all while they're talking. <laughs> So good. I, I have this really bad habit that I've become aware of in the last couple of years of finishing people's sentences. <laughs> it's the most annoying thing in the world to have someone do it, it. Like, of no implication. Like, it's not even important things. But I'll just, I'll find myself just completing your sentence for some reason before you even finish. And it's like, why am I doing that? Why can't I just listen to listen? Why can't I just <laughs> let someone finish speaking and pause for a second? And take it in before I have to just jump back into speaking. I don't know what that is in us that wants to do that. Well, I think that points to our higher value for the, the corner of, of truth that we feel we possess um, than the corner of truth that the person we're talking to might possess. We think ours is more true or more important. And um, that's not to say truth is relative, that what's true for me is true for me and what's true for you is what's true for you. Because I could hear some of our listeners saying, hey, wait, wait, are you getting into relativism? No, truth is truth. It's just, it's not singular. 
Right. And it, it isn't limited <laughs> to the filter so of my experience. It has less to do with the singularity of truth or, or the, the, the absoluteness of truth, rather, but it has more to do with the fact that what I understand or conclude to be the truth is really a portion of the truth, one, yeah. experienced yeah. through the filter of my background and values, too. Yeah. And so that's not to say my background and values don't count. No, they count. Or the corner of the truth hole that I've latched onto isn't, in fact, valid. It's just to say that your background, your values, and the, the, the bit of the truth that you've apprehended at this juncture in your life, for whatever reason, um, experiential, uh, intrinsic, or otherwise, that those also count. Man. That's, that's so good. Right? I, I'm thinking of Plato's description of the elephant um, being, being described by a, a, a group of blind men. Hmm. And one described it as, as thick and round and firm like a tree trunk, you know? And another's like, no, that's not an elephant. What are you talking about? It's more like, it's more like um, long and slender with a brush at the end. Right. Another one's like, you guys are both crazy. It's, it's this... Uh, it's it's flat like a pancake, where in fact ones describe and then they go back and forth yeah, yeah, in yeah. Plato's fable, um, de deriding one another for how wrong they are in their description of the elephant, where each one is of course describing a trunk, or a tail, or an ear, and I think that's the way we humans Man. are apprehending the truth of God and what energy we waste denigrating one another diminishing or dismissing before hearing the other uh, out of out of the certainty that we that an ear is in fact an ear man and I I, I think that that's why I think that the, the asking questions piece is man I want to get better at that um, because I really think if you if, if we can approach people and ask those questions of like Tell me why, like, explain to me why you see it that way. Usually someone's going to give you a set of answers or stories or experiences or perspective to where when they're done speaking, you'll be able to say, I understand why you would see it that way. Mm -hmm. um, and so much of it is I think we come to conclusions about the person or their motives or their spirit or their um, Christianity without letting them explain why they actually see it that way. Um, and if you listen, we, we, I think we'll have a lot more understanding and empathy for why people experience it that way. Now, it still leaves room for growth and for them to be wrong or to, to change. Um, but here, here's what I wanted to ask as well before we, before we begin to land this. There's a, there's a um, cynical part of me with this whole topic of like, is anyone going to, like, am I actually going to do this? You know what I mean? Like, we talked about this, like, when people discuss politics or some issue, when do any of us, when do, when do I change my mind, like, based on what anyone says to me? Like, I, it feels like I'm stuck in what I think, at least mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, but usually how these conversations come to a head is like the, the classic phrase, which I, I don't love it, but it's probably good, is let's just agree to disagree. And then people just walk away with their hands up. Like, how does this end? When we actually have a conversation and I've listened and I've asked some questions and I'm humble mm -hmm. and, and I share my opinion and then you do the same and we just don't agree, like what, what happens? Where, where do we go from there? Because it, what it feels like is that what I desire is to convert you to think like me. Mm -hmm. and, but, but the problem is you're trying to do the same thing. 
you're trying to get me to think like you. And neither of us are really wanting to do that. Mm-hmm. And we just end up having to relegate the whole thing to, well, let's just agree to disagree. Sure. And then mumble about each other under our breath as we walk away. Like, how does this actually <laughs> end? How do we end in a way that's productive or that's, I don't know. I think what you're tapping into is the way the human mind works. Your parody of the cable news split screen experience <laughs> and how laughably... Um, implausible it is that one would ever say to the other, you know what? You made a really good point. Or I'm going to give my time to him in this uh, next segment because I want to hear more of what he was just saying. Like, that's <laughs> never, <laughs> never it's happened. Never happen, yeah. And it's probably never going to. But for that matter, I think that in some ways, cable news is a, is a, um, a microcosm of human relationships in, in that I don't think we change our minds that way. Mm. Very seldom have I experienced myself or other people in a moment to go, especially in an area of passion, as we were discussing earlier. Wait, 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 wait. hold on. I'm going to cool my jets all at once. Gosh darn it. You might be right. (laughs) I I hereby, here and now, change my mind. I've been thinking this for 40 years, but I'm going to switch today. Like that might happen once, and then 39 times people are like, nah. Yeah, whatever, man. Whatever. But if they actually did a, a some rough, if I actually did some rough approximation of what you taught, and I go home, what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit takes that little faith ember and fans it into flame, and it thinks. And it re- does what human minds are so gloriously capable of doing. It rethinks. And then oh it comes at it with a little bit more expansive viewpoint. Or maybe it comes at it from another direction. And then maybe once in a while it goes, you know what? I actually come to think of it. Think or maybe it tucks that away. And then like one plants and another waters, it's a seed. And then another conversation happens. And I also don't go to that person. Hey, somebody else mentioned this earlier. Two or more witnesses... I hereby change my mind. But that tucks away. And then at some moment, to which, George, I usually give the credit, not to um, persuader A or persuader B, but to myself, Hmm. because I'm very fond of myself, right? I think I came to a clearer understanding. I, the way I would call it is I matured. Wow. I grew up. I used to think like a child, but now I think like an adult, but really that growing, that maturing is a composite experience of persuader A, persuader B having spoken the truth in love. And then the Holy spirit over time. And I wake up one day and realize I think differently, but have you ever had this happen to you? Have you ever had anyone tell you something that you told them? Like, I told you, you that. You told that. <laughs> and they even use your word or they use your example. Know, and you're like, me. wait, I thought, I don't want to be like so arrogant as to think that that was me like, saying Like, bro, that. that's me. But you just used my little thing. That's I gave my you quip. That. And I know that, but you don't say it, but you're like, oh. Okay. I, I, they thought about it. Or have you ever noticed yourself doing that? Probably not, or you wouldn't have said the exact same thing your buddy said to you and made yourself look like an idiot. But the fact is, I think it's just a part of how we humans grow. It's slow. It's organic. It's, it's unsatisfyingly clunky. It's two steps forward and one step back. It's irresolute, but it does reflect Jesus in us, which is the hope of glory. And I think all of us, as the body of Christ, are a part of Jesus' work in growing up in that way. I that, think that's how we change That our is so good. I want to staple something to the back of that real fast. This is something that we didn't really get to address on Sunday. But what you just described, I think we see in the passage. Because, again... Jesus sits, listens, asks. Everyone is blown away at his understanding and his answers. And then 
the next verse says, but like while everyone else is blown away, it says his parents didn't know what to think. Like they're, they're still upset of the whole, we lost you thing. Why have you been? And it says, you know, his mother asked like, what are you doing? Why have you done this to us? And then again, Jesus asked two more questions to her. Just that's his way. He's like, why'd you have to search for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? And then it says, but neither of them knew what it meant. And then the next verse says that Mary stored all of these things in her heart. Right. She didn't understand it, but something right. about this whole thing, she just tucked it away and stored it in her heart. And I feel like maybe that could be the goal of our conversations, that you, as you just like perfectly described, is instead of trying to convince that person, let me just listen, let me be humble, and let me just store that right. away. George, that's why I think Scripture over and over again says, be patient with one another, bearing with one another in love. Because the truth is, I think probably I'm constantly persuading and being persuaded. Man, I'm constantly changing my mind and being used by Jesus to help others do the same. And so if we can bear with one another and allow that your progress, your mind, your thoughts, those are Jesus's property. They're not mine. And if Jesus is content for you and my other friends to grow up at the pace that they are, I I need to be content with that as well because what he knows and what they know that I probably know less well is that the same exact thing is happening with me. Absolutely. And can we engage with one another in such a way that we are humble, listen, ask, and be opinionated? to engage, to share what you think. Can we do all that in such a way where if that experience could be like, you know, dispensed as a little cube or something, that it would be something that that person would want to store in their heart? Yeah. Can we leave them with an experience where they actually want to store that? Because if we just throw up all over each other right. and, and share our opinions, I'm like, Rob, if you just like disrespect me, and even if you're right, this whole thing that we just did is probably not going to be something that I want to store in my heart. Right, I'm right. going to want to men in black this whole moment from my conscience <laughs> and then just stay the same as I've always been. <laughs> exactly. But if we speak the truth in love, we give people the opportunity to actually want to store that away. Man, that's right. Or and to nothing, not reject it. You know? Nothing makes us go scorched earth with one another like politics. It gets at the basis instincts of our character, and this is when the the people of God need to reflect uh, the purest and most redemptive aspects of our character. Both are there. The wheat and the tares are growing up together. We are the old sinful nature ever less and the new man in Christ ever more. But now is the time, I think, in faith to lean into the man Jesus is making us or the woman Jesus is making us mm-hmm. uh, and, and believe that God is able to be doing the exact same thing in, in the others in our community rather than to go scorched earth. Because three or four weeks from now, we're going to be worried about something else, like that asteroid that may be heading toward our planet or the <laughs> dumb murder hornet that we heard about back in February and then the murder hornet kindly waited its turn because COVID happened and now they're finding murder hornets around. We might be all freaking out about murder hornets in the three weeks and but and we need our brother to lean on, but we find our brother th- doesn't, doesn't answer our calls because we were a jerk to him about politics. No question. We can disagree 
and not scorch the earth. And I think, man, if ever we needed that context, that foundation of love, it is now. The love of many, Scripture says, in the latter days will grow cold. I think we're living Mm -hmm. in in the beginning or somewhere in those times because the love of many is. It's running dry. May we go back to Jesus, find our love refreshed, and love one another as the context for passionate disagreement that allows all of us to grow up in Christ, who is our head. That was a perfect final word. I have so many more things I want to say on this. I'm glad we have one more week of this series. Exactly. And just so you know, you like sort of reassumed the role of host with that amazing close right there. That was great. No, 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 no. I am the, I am the, (laughs) I am merely the humble guest. Close us out, host. Uh, Or tell me who should close us out, Let me do, this is my show. Yeah, you Uh, host. Rob, would you uh, close us in prayer I, I in this would episode? Be, I would be honored, thank George. You. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence and goodness. Thank you for your constancy. And Jesus, you are the way. Um, and we want to follow and, and live that way. Lord, would you continue to refresh us? Would you remind us of the ways that we speak and the ways that we relate with one another uh, and, and that those build up or those tear down and how valuable they are, much more so than even the content of what we're saying. Uh, Jesus, we want to be like you. Would you fill us uh, anew with your love? Refresh us in your heart and give us the mind of Christ as we navigate stormy seas in our country. Let us, the people of God, um, be an infusion of your life and your love in this time. And we bless our friends, Lord, as they listen to this and go about their days doing the work you've entrusted to them. Let them be salt and light and uh, ambassadors of your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. My brothers and sisters, thank you so much for listening to The Deeper Dive. And uh, we'll see you on here next time. Hope you have an amazing day.